0: podcast
1: one angus and lachlan we're back for another episode of listen able god we're enjoying it
2: we are and we've got an amazing guest i know i teased slash spoke about this guest last week on the show but i think this is going to be one of the better episodes even into the future i loved doing this record a couple of weeks ago and I'm so excited for everyone
1: to hear this episode. However, before we get stuck into it, we got some news not listenable slash disability related. Mm-hmm. It's about you. Congratulations, brother. You told me during the week that mm-hmm. you and your beautiful partner, Emily, are expecting your first child.
2: Yeah, I'm going to be a dad.
1: Woo! I think I am a dad.
2: You know, Emily's 13 weeks. There's a little bubba that's the size of a lemon.
1: Do you have that app where he tells you what size yeah, vegetable? Yeah, Emily's
2: got that, yeah. Is Red, it cool? Lemon, yeah. Lemon. Grows fast. Grows like quick. the week before was a lime. So I'm like, wow, we're really going. We've had two uh, scans slash ultrasounds, mm-hmm. and the first time at seven weeks was like a little jelly bean. We just had the thirteen week one, like nose identifiable fingers, toes, heartbeat, everything.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. So how it's, you um, feeling?
2: Been overwhelmed. We've known the news for like eight weeks. We found it pretty early, like at five weeks. Uh, so we've known for a while. So I've been I've known for a little bit. But once the family start knowing about it, it becomes very real. Mm-hmm. Feb ten. Once that's in like the calendar of like that's new life. That was huge for me. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the date. The date was big. Mate, it's such good news. Congratulations. Thank
2: you very much. Yes, but that is not Listenable related. So
1: so make sure, you know, if you are listening and you are a big corporate sponsor, you support our podcast because...
2: I've got so many fees. Obstetricians? Wow. Who and knew what they were? And wow, who knew how much they cost? Extra mouths to feed. Oh, gosh. I didn't even want to get into that. <laughs> I haven't even thought about that. But, uh, of course, this podcast does go towards supporting the Dylan Olcott Foundation as well. But uh, let's get into this episode where... Once again, this is a recommendation from you guys on our email, listenablepodcast at outlook.com. I got this email. It was this person suggesting a lawyer, an equality lawyer in Adelaide. I called up this person after I heard their story and said, you've got to come on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And she said, I listen every week. Oh, how good's that? I'm not only coming on, I can't wait to come on. We've had this episode in the can for the last few weeks and I've been itching for you guys to hear it. Very impressive. Let's meet our next guest.
0: Hey, my name's Nat. Um, I'm a proud disabled woman from Adelaide, a practicing lawyer, trying to be a bride in COVID-19, <laughs> and a poodle parent to the most amazing poodles in Australia.
2: Poodles, plural. you got more than one. <laughs> yeah, two. What is your disability, Nat?
0: So I have an undiagnosed type of congenital muscular myopathy, which means that I was born with weak muscles. So it predominantly affects my legs, my arms, my spine and my lungs. It doesn't affect my brain, my tongue, so I can eat and swallow, uh my heart or my bladder. The tongue. I've never
2: thought about that because I know that if someone nearly drowns, you can nearly swallow your tongue and drown in your tongue.
1: You know the right. strongest muscle in your body, supposedly. Is that correct? I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that, yeah. Maybe know. not right. true. Yeah, But okay. th- that's so important to have the control right. of your tongue. Yeah, totally.
0: So I guess as similar as my disability would get to diagnose conditions is what you guys might know as muscular dystrophy. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm a bit of a weird spin-off of that. <laughs> Um, You're the so, Joey
2: sitcom of friends. Yeah. <laughs> <The baby. laughs>
0: I totally am. I totally right. am. Yeah, so having um, the use of the tongue is really important because it means I can eat independently. Mm. I can swallow well um, without risk of um, choking, and yeah, I can sort of drink and do all those things. It's
2: it's think great. Never think about that.
1: No, no. Yeah. For people that don't know too much about uh, muscular myopathy or muscular dystrophy, I've got a few friends that I grew up with, a young guy called Patrick Jackson. Shout out to Patrick if you're listening. He is a really good mate of mine who has muscular dystrophy and he is dominating. He's such a good guy, but his disability has got, I guess, progressively a little bit worse over time. What about muscular myopathy? Does it kind of – have you been the same since you were a kid or has has it changed?
0: I don't know what the um, progression of my condition will be because it's not diagnosed, so it's sort of anyone's guess, um, but over the span of my last 30 years, if it has got worse, it's been so slow. I barely noticed. So there was like maybe a point where I was in kindy or primary school where I was in a push chair, like a manual chair, um, but I've been in an electric wheelchair since I was eight. So it, it's a pretty light, small memory. I've never been able to stand up. I've never walked a step in my life. I've never been able to dress myself or shower myself or do any of that on my own. So um, it's pretty, if it's happening, it's super slow.
1: For people that don't know, so the way that we would be different that is is... The importance of transferring, so what we call transferring is being able to get from, say, my wheelchair into a bed or into a couch, which I can do independently. Or a car. Or a car, but that means I can dress myself, have a shower because I have the ability to do that. So someone with your disability, Nat, in your case, not being able to transfer is, is the reason why that stuff's hard for you, is that right?
0: Yeah. So I can't wait there at all. So I don't stand up at all. So I have support workers who come to my house um, and they help me to transfer and we use equipment to do that. So a lifter that is along the ceiling of my bedroom and it brings me from my wheelchair to my bed or my bed to my shower chair, which is what I use to go to the toilet or have a shower uh, and back into my wheelchair.
1: People might underestimate how long that process takes, like, oh, every morning. Can yes. you tell us how long that takes?
0: Yeah. So um, to do 10-second re, 45 minutes. Um, so, or, yeah, so to get dressed in the morning, and obviously it depends on what support workers are on. Some are, like, pretty pro, some are not as pro. <laughs> um, uh, but on average, you allow at least one hour. And then when I get home from work in the evening, I have the biggest chunk of care that I, so-called care, um, of the day, which is two hours and that I use to go to the loo, have a shower and put my pajamas on. So I achieve those three things. It takes two hours.
1: Wow. So people underestimate that. Like if you're about to go to work. You know, most people get up, brush their teeth.
2: I can get ready in literally three minutes and jump out the door. Yeah, like, if yes. I miss an alarm, I'm I'm out the door in three minutes. Probably so, with toast in hand.
1: I'm 45 and you're a couple of hours, so oh, it is man. always a bit of a pain, but I can't complain. I mean, no, that's – I'm at least half your time, so.
0: And <laughs> do you know, though, I wouldn't really know what to do if I had the extra time. Like, yeah. I think it would be really weird to just – so I have an able-bodied partner and he just gets out of bed and puts his shoes on and goes to wherever – I just so that would be such a strange experience. <laughs> How weird.
2: Uh, Natalie, uh, you were nominated. Now, I, I spoke to you on the phone last week. Um, can you remember the person I just don't have in front of me who nominated you?
0: Yeah, so Jenna Bury, who I went to primary school with. Right. That I haven't seen for about 20 years, but I'm having coffee with her on Sunday. Oh,
2: uh, well, she nominated you. She said such glowing things about you in this. I, I also forwarded you the email so was you could read it. Was this
1: the mean? for you guys to catch up?
0: Yes. Oh, oh, yes. course.
2: She is just so in awe of you and has been for your whole existence together, your Facebook friends. That's how she's followed your journey. I kind of had this question later on, but since we're talking about your house and the accessibility of it, she mentioned that in 2018, you finished building your own home. So you've made the specific modifications um, to your disability. Can you take us through, is there an approval process with council? How long extra does it take to build and the costs involved?
1: And what's in it as well. Mm.
0: Yeah, okay. So I have an accessible home in terms of it's wheelchair accessible for me and I don't need any additional approvals because you can build a house with whatever you want in it. It's totally your choice and I didn't build it to attract any sort of... um, NDIS funding, or they within the NDIS they call it specialist disability accommodation funding. It is literally just a private dwelling mm-hmm. that um was built for me. So some of the accessibility features are pretty standard these days, like having wider doorways or having a bigger hallway so I can turn around in the hallway rather than go into either end. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are some non-standard features like um my kitchen benches are lower so that I can make dinner.
1: Jealous, very jealous. Yeah,
0: right. Or my bathroom, um, while it's super trendy and subway tiled and matte black um, tap rare, it is also um, super open. So it's very spacious, but without being obviously spacious. So it's neatly designed so we can move around in it, me and the support team, Um, but you don't walk in and go, whoa, someone who's disabled lives here." Yeah, nice. okay, and cool.
2: so just talking about the mechanics in your bedroom as well, is, yeah. there an, is it an Australian company? Did you have to ship that machinery from overseas? Where does that come from? Yeah. So it's
0: pretty um, common um, to, to have it. Um, so there are providers in Australia in every state and territory who manufacture lifters and um, other equipment that I have, and they – um, install it in your house. So for that, I used government funding.
1: Yeah, no. Nice. Cool. Can we go back to when you were at at primary school? Um, yeah. So you got nominated by a friend who you went to primary school with. Yeah. Uh, how did you go at school? Like you, you're obviously incredibly well-spoken and, and very bright, but how did you go, I guess, integrating with, with other kids in a mainstream school?
0: I'm probably typical of a child of the 90s in that I went to a – mainstream independent school. So, you know, the sort of gap between public and private like a Catholic school. Mm-hmm. And I was the only person in a wheelchair there. Um and for me, that just looked like me being pretty ignorant of my disability and pretending like I was an overbodied kid.
1: What about the other kids' reactions? Did yes. you always have a good group of friends?
0: Uh yes. So I'm a bit of a bitch and <laughs> so <laughs> I, um, I, anyone that sort of attempted, um, some sort of able slur or, uh, rudeness, I would, um, and my parents might be better to, um, attest to this, I would then rally against them with the other school (laughs) students, um, yes, and sort of bully them, um, so, I didn't have too many issues socially, but it was, um yeah, so I was, yeah, I guess fortunate. Like, I know there are lots of stories in our community, Dylan, that are the complete opposite of that. Um And, yeah, so I have really wonderful memories of school and, and my best friend from high school is still my best friend now. But I, I wasn't really being completely true to my disabled self. Like, I was faking it, as in, like, you know, I was you know, pretending like it was completely okay that I couldn't open that door or it was completely fine that I couldn't reach my bag off the hook or whatever and I would just get the other kids to do it. But the way that I became to be in an electric wheelchair was because my parents found out that I had, like, coordinated the other students' to push me round because I had sort of lost the rankness in my arms right. to be able to prepare myself. So I didn't really fess up to it to them. But then the teachers were like, why is Matt getting all the kids to mm-hmm. like take it and test what's going on? And I had not coordinated this fashion of kids to like <laughs> help me, so it wasn't obvious. You're like the
1: Piper with the flute. I was gonna say yeah. you were just lawyering from when you were eight, just getting <laughs> right? them all to fall in line.
0: <laughs> one of the
2: early adopters. I love that.
0: Yeah.
2: So accessibility at the school. We've heard stories of. Uh, I believe it was Oliver Hunt was one, and I believe another stu- uh, another guest as well, has talked about the schools adopting and changing their school scape for accessibility. Was that the same for you? I don't think
0: I was the author of any great change at the schools I went to. So the I, my parents had a sea change in the middle of my schooling, and so we moved from um, Port Augusta in the north of um, South Australia, mm-hmm. which is where Jenna knows me from. Um, and then they moved to the Adelaide Hills, which is freezing cold uh, and in the CBD. But just gorgeous.
2: Uh, I mean, the Crafers Hotel, yeah. if you want to do yourself a favour.
0: Yes. Did you two
1: weird. just froth in Adelaide Oh, together. the pub
2: at Crafers is I know unbelievable. The, the mall's balls. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah,
0: that's, it. that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. A village pass. Yeah, so the second school that I went to, which was my high school for all intents and purposes, um, was already set up with a lift, okay. like an elevator, um, and the only sort of adjustment that was needed was that I could not turn the key that sort of locked and unlocked it because I'm pretty weak in my hands. And so I just got my friends to carry the key around and they took it in turns and when they had free lessons they would go sit in the lift or whatever i hope my school don't <laughs> listen to this
2: <laughs> i hope they do use it like a little yeah. spot a hang spot <laughs> yeah very cool
1: were you worried when you were at school about what you were going to do vocationally once you finished school or did you always have yes. a, a direction
0: no so i i think i always wanted be a lawyer um, and have a career, but no way. I did not know what that looked like. I didn't know what it would look like to live out of home for a mum and dad. I didn't know how I would cope with the level of care that I knew that I would have for my lifetime. I, yeah, I distinctly remember at about the age of 10, sitting in my bathroom wondering how I would be an adult. And, you know, because I just, I never saw other people with my level of physical disability. Mm-hmm. So I would, um, when I was a child, I think my main exposure to disability, if you could even call it that, was reading a biography or an autobiography of Louise Savage, mm-hmm. who's a um, Paralympian. Now, I don't like sport at all, and that's not disability related. I just can't <laughs> get into it, and i said oh my god but like, I'm, I'm not i don't want to be a paralympian like, I don't. And, and she's very strong in her arms and i'm not very strong in my arms and this is what does this even look like um and i don't you know so that's age 10. i don't think that i really knew what it looked like when i was literally moving out of my parents home at 19. like yeah
1: because that's scary for anyone right so yeah. any 19 year old able-bodied disability different mm. level of disability Like i don't remember i was scared and how i would look after myself. What age did you take the leap and move out and what was that process like organizing the support workers and things?
0: Yeah, so it was pretty interesting. I moved out when I was 19 um, and I was, so to sort of frame it in where I was in life, I was second year law school at Adelaide University and um, I had only ever received care from mum and dad. Mm -hmm. So I had never been dressed by someone else. We sort of tried, like we as a family sort of tried to have people come into the house to help with my care on her Saturday morning in sort of the last six months that I was at home, but it didn't, like, it just didn't really sit well. And mum would be more stressing in the kitchen, sort of mm. knowing that I was getting dressed without her and, and whatever, but it just didn't really work. Anyway, I, um, so this is before the NDIS, and so it was still state government funding. I went to Disability SA, as it was then at the time, and said to them, I need to leave home and I need your help to do it. I don't know what I need to do, but I need all this care. I can't dress myself. I can't shower myself. I don't even know that I can make toast. But I need someone to help because this is really hard for my parents. This is breaking them and that's not cool.
2: Uh, you moved out, you were 19. Uh, yeah. How did you go? I mean, obviously your parents have done this your whole life, so it is your normal. Yeah. But when you go through puberty, your body goes through changes, you want to have a bit of privacy. Is there a bit of uncomfortability about your parents changing your clothes and being that caring person? Because I'm only putting myself in my position yeah. as a mum. You know, my mum stopped changing me when I was, what, four or five or
0: whatever. Yeah. I think you redefine what privacy looks like. So Pretty privacy. Disabled. Yeah. 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 So privacy isn't putting my pants on or having a shower or like I've literally never showered alone. Like I don't yep. that to me just isn't a private time. Um but whereas, you know, um maybe I don't know, in the evening or, or whatever, my adolescent version of, of private was to be in my room with my little child yeah. Um or, or whatever. So I think it's redefining it. Uh, there were definitely times where it was frustrating, like, you know, when you're 16 and you want to, like, wear some really inappropriate, like, yeah. low-cut <laughs> stuff, and, yeah. and you have to debate that out with your mum, and, like, yeah, so, and usually you would have that debate in the hallway before you left. I was just having that debate in my bedroom. Mm. um. So, uh, yeah, there were definitely times like that, but it's... It's an incredible commitment in terms of day-to-day operations. So I receive care for at least four hours a day. So when you know, my mum and dad work, they run small businesses and I, you know, that, that's a lot. That's a lot for them to, to be doing for nearly 20 years.
2: So then you get your first support service um, who help you in that that care role. I'm just thinking about Steph Agnew, who is vision impaired and she yep. has a guide dog called Rocky uh, and she went through a process of choosing the dog. Is it the same for support service starting out? Do you get to build a better connection with somebody? Can you choose female only? How does that work?
0: It's a bit different now. It's funny how quickly um, the disability rights movement pushes us forward in a really good way. But when I moved out, so I moved out in 2009, um, it literally was my mum got me dressed on the Saturday morning. removed moved all my crap into this little unit And someone else put me on the toilet that night. I hadn't met that person before. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't instructed them how to do my care, which was something that I had never thought of. So I sort of just like put me into the bathroom and was like, cool, so will you put me on the toilet now? Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, how, how do you like that done? Like, how do you, and I was like, uh, I, I don't know, I not the words. I, I don't even have that language. Now, 10 years on, I'm pro at training yeah. sport workers. But <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it was, it was really that first night still in my memory is one of the most confronting nights ever.
1: You said before about it pushed your parents to breaking point, you know, it was really tough for them to manage your care. How does that make you feel? How did that make you feel? And, and even retrospectively?
0: I think it but um, like at the time it, it was really sad and it was you know they mum and dad would have done it forever. They would have they literally built their house with me staying at home in mind. They would have cared for me until they were dead. but mm. like they that was definitely their, their plan. I absolutely upended that plan. Mm and a totally different route. When I look back at it now, you know, I'm, you know, sort of disappointed that the system didn't help them more. I'm, you know, sort of frustrated that I had to go have those conversations. But, you know, in saying all of that, it was absolutely the best thing that ever happened to me was moving out of home. There's no way that I would be The lawyer that I am, I think it's very unlikely that I would be getting married. You know, I think it would be a very different version of life um, had I not moved out of home. And in fact, after I moved out, I moved out in in the May of 2009. I um, was diagnosed with cancer, unrelated to the disability, uh, in the August. And so that would have been a great opportunity to move home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, no, 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 I'm staying. And, and stayed. I did It's By far the best thing. So a little bit disappointed in systems, and but it was all sort of for the better.
1: And that's why the NDIS is in the deep end. Yeah, that's why the NDIS is set up as well. People think it might be a welfare system, but it's not. It's an investment in people with disabilities, so they themselves can get off the pension and pay taxes, but also yeah. their family their carers can get some help so they can get jobs. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's yeah. an investment in our economy.
2: I always think about um, someone like Stephen Hawking, for example, one of the greatest minds to ever exist. But if he wasn't giving the opportunities because he was just thrown away as this person in a wheelchair, let's not forget, imagine the the black hole theories we wouldn't have. And for you as well, I mean, the work that we're going to get into with your law, imagine if you weren't giving these opportunities, if you didn't push yourself to those extremes. Yeah, I'm, yeah but, we wouldn't be chatting to the great person we've got in front no. of us.
1: And the best part about Nat is she did them herself. So I think this story will yeah. teach it to a lot of young people with high-level disabilities who don't want to stay at home but think they have to. You know what I mean? That's why your story is so cool no. because I haven't heard someone like this. It's like, you know what? Catch your Mum. Catch your Dad. I'm going by myself. Like Parents will be like, no way you are.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, and they put off a good fight. Like, yeah, yeah, Debbie and Tony were onto it. Like they were like, You cannot do this. And um, yeah, no, but I also have an able-bodied sister and she'd moved down, so she said a good precedent. That's good. I was like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like she got to do this. You have to let me go up.
1: You just mentioned you had cancer. What kind of cancer was it? And how did you overcome that?
0: Oh man, this is the worst. So I got cancer in my leg my legs do not work, Um, I got melanoma. So it started just below my knee, cut it out a couple of times, and then it kept moving up my leg and metastasized in my lymphatic system. Um, And so anyway, many, many surgeries, a couple of years, about four years. I had it relapsing around, still at law school, Um, and ultimately um, we cut enough of it out um, and I lost just a, your main sides, okay. um, and now all good.
1: You just just said it so casually. Yeah, oh, then I
2: canceled, and I, oh, good. Out of,
1: I went to school, I was like, Oh, okay.
0: Is
2: it yeah. because you don't have you have feeling in your legs though?
0: Yes, you have full sensation oh, okay. everywhere. So I'm not like a who's got like a little gotcha. bit. I was like, gonna say, got, is it lucky
2: you in your legs, but you actually felt the whole process? No, oh, okay, yeah. okay, right.
1: Handy, you can feel it though, because you know something's going on. That's for a sure.
2: Point. yeah point. totally. Let's talk yeah. about your relationship, um, an able-bodied partner. How did that yeah. relationship come about?
0: Uh, so thanks, Tinder. Great. Oh! Uh-huh. Cool. Um, Great. Yeah, yeah. So we um, connected via Tinder and met in a cafe. Yeah, so we've been together for nearly three years now, um, and we got engaged in January. Congratulations. Um, and thank you. Terrible year. To get yeah. Oh At least gosh. there's some
2: good news in 2020, though.
0: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we'll see if ScoMo actually lets us do it. Anyway, <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, so we, um, hey, um, Raymond is his name, and, and he is completely overbodied. He works in IT and is a fantastic poo dad. Um, <laughs> yeah, and we have a painfully boring and normal relationship.
1: <laughs> Did you have photos of your disability in your Tinder profile pictures?
0: So n- not originally, so, when, so dating was really hard and if there was ever a bigger feeder of my internalized ableism, dating was it. Yeah, for sure. Oh Me my too. gosh. Shit. Like if there was ever a better stick that I had hit myself with to make myself feel like shit, that was totally
1: it. Talk us through that. So when mm. you started, like anyone, what age did you start getting attracted to people and how did you like go about that, especially when you were a bit younger?
0: Yeah, so I'm pretty sure I started getting attracted to boys when I was about seven. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I um probably, probably started dating when I was at uni. Okay. I was sort of like late stage uni um, and I had a preconception that I wasn't pretty and that no one would really find me attractive and that's a, a huge message that women with disabilities and men with disabilities are given through media and, you know, just general conversation. Like you'll often, you know, your friends or or whatever will see people that look different and say, oh, they're like not very good looking and you you look different and so you transfer that idea. Um, So I went into it with probably a pretty bad attitude and I was definitely looking for a guy to prove me wrong. And that's a terrible way to date because they'll <laughs> never prove you wrong. Um, and it just reconfirmed in every way that I'd get ghosted so they, like, wouldn't reply all of a sudden. And immediately I'd be like, oh, it's because I'm in a wheelchair. Mm. Or, you know, they wouldn't rock up for the date or, or they wouldn't, you know, read me after the date and I'd like, oh, it's because I'm in a wheelchair. Just fed all of those ideas um, and confirmed them just for me like no one else was playing like mm-hmm. no one else was in the game it was 100% just me anyway I ran off Tinder for a while and then I went back on it um and about a month and I wasn't really actively doing anything Raymond popped up and I was like no yeah okay whatever anyway mm-hmm. he just like so at this point I'm like so over dudes being surprised about the wheelchair and being weird about it, that I have put it in my profile picture. And so it's there. There are also a series of, like, you know, very carefully angled selfies without the wheelchair showing. Okay. But there's, like, this one towards <laughs> the bank. Take, take your yeah. headrest <laughs> off
1: so you can't see it. <laughs> the seventh That's photo? It. is there <laughs> <it>? Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> so, anyway, so, like, Raymond says, you know, messaging me and, you know, it's all this, you know, messaging back and forth constantly, you know, that sort of first two days where you're just constantly messaging each other. And I said to him, why have you not mentioned that I'm in a wheelchair? Like, you're about to stop liking me. Get ready. Mm. It's happening. And he was like, oh, yeah, I forgot to ask. I've been meaning to, but we always have such other great things to talk about that I never get around to it. So you're in a wheelchair. And I was like, oh, yeah, so, you know, you're probably not going to like it. You know, it's pretty, pretty epic. Right, till you meet me. He was like, oh. All right. Oh, um, anyway. And so you're already putting
2: some like bad juju yeah. out there a little bit. Oh yeah. Because totally. You, is that, is that a shield? shield I mean, you do, said yeah. So
0: I think definitely before I had such an equal relationship, um, I totally believed it. Yeah. It was, it was a really bad self-talk.
1: Everybody loves Raymond.
0: Yes. Now loves Raymond. That's our reading hashtag.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> um, when so we, I mean, obviously, as this has been recorded, we're still in the grips of COVID. Did you have a date set?
0: Yeah, we do. So, we're meant to be getting married on the 5th of September. Oh,
1: I thought about yeah. November, and I'm like, I reckon you're good. But <laughs> mm, September's uh, dice, but Adelaide's yeah. pretty locked up at the moment. They, they haven't got too many cases, do they? Adelaide's been That's... doing pretty well.
0: Yeah, yeah. So my fingers crossed I don't have the heart to win the caterer, but I will <laughs> I uh, – will win you caterer. <laughs> and
1: you guys – you said you guys are parents, the little fur babies. Yes. What are their dog – what are your dog's names?
0: Uh, Cooper and Alfie.
1: Um, I just got a little dog called Sauce. He's a <laughs> mini hound. He is about 12 weeks old. Are you scared you're going to run over your dogs in a wheelchair?
0: Yeah, so I did that the first they night get like, in Cooper the way. came home. They, uh, how much do they get in the way? Oh, uh, no, so they get used to it. So the first night I had Cooper, so he's 11 now. I was such a teenage mum. But he, um, <laughs> 100%, me going through a doorway, he runs through the doorway too, straight under my chair. Uh,
1: why do they love under your chair? Yeah, are no, so obsessed with it.
0: They, they get heaps better. Um, now, Alfie and Cooper... Are really bad with feet, so they don't really get feet. So they were brought up without Raymond, mm-hmm. really. So oh, they just had like, you oh, know, they know, disabled mum. They don't get it. Oh. So they get under <laughs> walking people's feet, something <laughs> terrible, drives everyone nuts. So I'm just like, <laughs> oh, oh, that's <laughs> uh, they get heaps better, Dylan. You'll be fine.
1: My, my feet hang off the front of my footplate, which is the front part of your wheelchair. Yeah. And because I don't touch the ground, source thinks they're just things to bite and play with. <laughs> so the other day, I was like, got oh, my foot's hurting a bit." I looked down, <laughs> and it was just blood. Source nibbled <laughs> my toe. I didn't even know. Oh, I knew, but yeah. I was like, "What's got on my got foot?" Cannibal look, dog. I'm like, "Source, you bastard!"
2: Your story's been amazing so far, but your law career is a real reason that really stood out from your nomination. You've uh, had some incredible awards, and I'll, I'll give you the respect you deserve by saying, "2016 Australia Young Lawyer of the Year." You've, uh, same year, South Australian Young Lawyer of the Year. And you've also launched this year a national human rights campaign called Welcoming Disability. Were you always with your career going to stay within the disability space?
0: I think certainly not when I started at law school, but by the time I had finished, absolutely. This was where it was always going. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just that in Adelaide, we don't quite have the human rights scene that you do have on the East Coast. And so I didn't really have line of sight to where I would work or where I would be a disability rights lawyer. Um, So I worked in government as a state government lawyer for the last seven years. um, And on the side of my day job, I would do disability advocacy work um, and then last year in, in July, I quit a really stable well-paying real job and opened a law firm for people with disabilities and their families. Jeez,
1: that's a big call. I like yeah. it, though. That's yeah. a huge risk to take because although yeah. they're tough, those I wouldn't say cushy lawyer jobs, but you know what I mean, like in-house lawyers, Yeah, doing your own firm mm-hmm. would be, I mean, that's a huge call to make.
0: Yeah, it it was massive. It was really, really um, a, a, a big thing, but it was a bit of a now and everything. So I was either going to keep the cushy government job, work nine to five, bring in money, be happy, go on, leave, whatever, and let my soul slowly die. (laughs) Uh, Or or I would do what I have done. The difference being, I guess, that I would get so used to that sort of money coming in and, and we would set up a lifestyle with that in mind that it would be too hard to get out of, you know, mm. at a certain point. So it was a now or never sort of thing.
2: You've worked obviously in in the law space for a little while. You had colleagues, you had bosses, you've worked under the umbrella of businesses. Did you find that they supported you on your individual journey within this space?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, I never, in state government, I never worked in a disability rights-focused role. So I was in-house To our Department of Human Services, so we did do like disability when that was funded by the state, and public housing, youth justice, that sort of stuff. So it was still social justice focused, but it wasn't disability rights in the way that equality lawyers is. Um, So you know, my bosses and employers were always really happy and supportive for me to go off and do, um, you know, speaking engagements or, or go and do public campaigns, sort of ish, as much as government can be happy mm. about that stuff.
1: Do you think you're underestimated as a lawyer because you are disabled by your colleagues?
0: No, So the best thing about the law. and This is why all young people with disabilities should be lawyers is because it's all about your brain. So you can pretty much leave your chair at the door and as long as you're brilliant it intellectually,
1: you're good. I think it could yeah. be a bonus too. Like I used to be good at, de- I wanted to be a lawyer and I used to be good at debating and yep. they'd be like, oh, this guy might be right. And then you actually are good. And they're like, holy shit. Like yeah. this person with a disability just kicked my like, ass. They expected the Yeah, yeah they expected a bit less. Yeah. So I think it. I'm with you. I reckon it's an asset because as you said, it's a purely intellectual job, but yep. there might be that little bit of that underestimation where you can blow that out of the water.
0: The only thing that I would say is that the legal profession is a really archaic profession. Mm. And so our infrastructure does not anticipate people with disabilities being members of the profession. Uh, So our Supreme Court in South Australia has a flight of steps. And so I have to go around the back. And only that happened because a judge broke his leg a couple of years ago and they needed him to be able to get in access to courts are a really big thing so I've been practicing yeah for about eight years seven and a half eight years now and when I graduated from law school in 2012 I really wanted to be a Supreme Court associate I, you know I'd been a government research like in you know government legal unit for the last two years of my law degree researching like public law issues and I thought oh you know the Supreme Court would be great it's not unusual for you know, sort of paralegals of the Crown to then move over to the Supreme Court to do their associateships. It was so not physically possible that I didn't even bother to apply because how could I have... Like, courts inside the courtrooms are just flights of stairs up and down everywhere. Anyway, I am so thrilled that there is a young lawyer in Adelaide, who's currently a Supreme Court associate with a physical disability in cool. 2020. Let's Give nice, a shout out. Who is, is it? Eloise Dibton. Nice. Is, and she is an absolute star, and that is the difference eight years makes in the movement, which is incredible.
1: Does that mean if we go to court as someone with a disability, we get off straight away as a technicality? Because oh, you can't get in.
2: Because you can't get in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I,
1: don't, I don't condone that, by the way, and all this thing. But you're so right. I remember I went to, grew up in Melbourne, and I went to the Victorian State Parliament for an excursion. Yeah. And I'm like... If I was the Premier, I couldn't get down there. No. Like, you can't get to the front bench. Hmm. I don't even know if the Prime Minister... If you're on the front bench in in Canberra, I think it's hard to get down. Like, Jordan Steele sits up the very top in a little wheelchair bay like he would have have at the MCG. Mm -hmm. But if he ever graduates into the front bench or whatever, don't even get get down down there. It's crazy.
0: So it's hard to aspire to it, right? Like, it's hard to aspire to these sort of careers when you see the physical infrastructure being so obviously... Not possible. Mm. And that's only talking about physical disability. I cannot imagine how intimidating that is for someone with a cognitive impairment or someone with a vision impairment. Yeah,
1: or hearing loop, as if that even works yeah. half the yeah. time. Like they say it works exactly. and it never works. Yeah. Mm. Do you
2: find, for example, we were chatting to, there's a new independent Victoria, at least, there's an independent uh, disability commission that's going on. So they've kind of launched that within the Victoria state only.
1: To regulate support workers.
2: Uh, do you find that it's frustrating and difficult to practice law, coming in opposition against people who are able-bodied, who don't know what it's like to have lived experience as disability, them trying to defend something they have no, no idea about, if that makes sense?
0: It's probably the best part of my law firm is that we act exclusively for people with disabilities and their families because we actually understand what's going on. Yep. You know, because we actually have lived it and we get it. Like, we get what it's like to come into a cafe and be told that you're not allowed to order there or to go to the pub and not be able to get in and just be sent home or to be indirectly discriminated against or to have your NDIS funding declined, even though you absolutely do need that. That level of understanding can't be taught at law school. It's really hard to for me to even impart into other lawyers' And it's absolutely what people with disabilities and their families deserve and it's what they need.
2: Well said. What's next? What what are you working on? You've got um, I know there's a illustrated book that's coming in fingers crossed September. But well, what do you see
1: for the future of Well, you're running a book?
0: Yeah, but not a fun book like yours. It's just about <laughs> the law. It's um That
1: could be fun if you really need it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. So it's mm. about disability rights and so that people can know what their basic rights are and know when to talk to a lawyer and when to talk to an advocate so that, you know, people are finding themselves in a spot of bother, whether they're in a, a, you know, a criminal bit of bother, but also if they're, they've been told that they can't make their own decisions or if they've been told that they can't have a relationship or they're not allowed to have sex or if they have been told that they are not allowed to live independently, all it. of these sort of things they can pick up this accessible, very trendy-looking disability rights handbook and have a look for themselves. And then if they need more information, it tells them when to go speak to a lawyer or an advocate.
2: That's awesome. What kind of cases are you... I mean, obviously, there's confidentiality within specifics, but what kind of cases are you working on?
0: So we see quite a bit of discrimination predominantly in schools and usually for children under 10. Um, which is disturbing. Um, We see a little bit of NDIS review work. So you would see a lot of that in the media, that people with disabilities don't get the supports that they need and they have to go through a really lengthy and arduous legal process to be able to get the supports they need. So we see a little bit of that, but probably not as much as you would think. We would probably see more discrimination than you would anticipate and I would draft more wills than you would ever have Wheel. thought. Yeah, sorry, it's really interesting. So, obviously, in SA at the moment, we have had some pretty horrific yeah. um, tragedies in the disability community. And that has really led to families and people with disabilities going, what do I legally need to do to protect myself and to protect? my future life so we were already doing that work before um, recent events but it's definitely become into focus um, for the South Australian disability community for sure so if we do that sort of work um, people who people with disabilities who are put under orders like legal orders um, because they can't make their own decisions about their life or their money we sometimes act for those people um, to say, well, they can, and, and this is why, or, or they can't, but they want someone else to be helping them, um, or react for the families um, in, in those situations to get that decision-making back in the control of the family rather than in the control of the state government.
2: Sounds like you're doing yeah. a great job. And for people, are you state-based only or is it national? If people can yeah, reach so we out? do.
0: Um, so we only have an office in Adelaide, but we um, do Commonwealth... Work. So that's the National Disability Insurance Scheme uh, and also actions under the Disability Discrimination Act um, before the Human Rights Commission. Cool.
2: And how do people get in contact with you if they do have anything they'd like to float with you personally or professionally?
0: So they can go to the website at uh, equalitylawyers.com.au um, or they can email me at hello at equalitylawyers.com. Good name, by the
1: way, equality yeah. lawyers, because you can always branch into other... Areas of equality. Once you get yeah. huge,
2: get that branch. Definitely. Yeah, everything. You know, gender, <laughs> <laughs> race, just get it all
1: yeah, and get the cash. Uh,
2: the email stacked up. It was a beautifully written email by someone who you are going to have coffee with, which is great that this connection is hopefully nurtured uh, a blossoming friendship again uh, as yes. you guys reconnect. Uh, Natalie Wade, thank you so much. You got to do You got bowl Oh, I've got a bowl of uncomfortable. Okay.
0: Oh, yeah, cool.
2: Good call, Dylan. He's pulled me up. The ball of uncomfortable is where people ask us questions to ask them. I'll ask you, our guests. Your partner, Raymond, the great man. Um, Was he your first physical romantic experience? No. How did you find the confidence to be sexual within yourself? If you couldn't find that you were, if you were struggling yourself to find romantic connections and putting those shields up, how do you then find the ability to put those walls down to allow yourself to be romantic, sexy, beautiful.
0: Uh, I don't think that my insecurities meant that my standards were very high. So I think there probably once we had established that everyone was interested and happy to proceed. I I was good with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, my insecurities didn't really play out in a, I don't want to do that with you. It was more just a, would you even want to do that with me?
2: Okay, so
1: once that was gone,
2: it was all on? Yeah, love that. Thank, Thank you very much, Natalie Wade. Uh, you've heard how to get in contact. Uh, yeah, like we said, the email. Now, you're a legend. You, you are so really are.
1: switched on. I enjoyed that so Brilliant. much.
0: Thank you so much. Well, hopefully that's helpful. Um, uh, thanks so much for having me.
1: I mean, you gave so many good tips to everybody, people, but also people with a disability to get out there and be independent and take that leap. And when you do take that leap with your own life, the benefits that come from, you know, no, matter, no matter what yeah. your difference right. or whatever it is. So we loved having you here. We appreciate it. Thank you so much,
0: guys. Appreciate
2: it. We've been doing this podcast for like four or five months, something like that, six months. And still, it amazes me that I learn so much each and every episode. I had no idea about high-level care disability when it comes down to the, the
1: time spent each morning and afternoon. So wow. t- especially to then have the time to be a lawyer, yeah. Like that, and also study throughout, and yep. just to be a normal contributing member of society and the economy, you add an extra two, three hours every day, and like you get up and just do your hair. And very excited for next week's episode.
2: Have you thought about the life your kids will have when you pass? Oh,
0: that's a very good question. Yeah, I, I have. There was a period of time when the kids were both very little, and I remember being on the couch and I had no energy, literally laying there, and I remember watching them running around. And I, I had, I couldn't do it. And I thought, yeah, it was, that was horrible. And that's probably the first, one of two times I remember thinking, what if I wasn't here? Would they be happy? What, you know, what would they do? And I think I would never want my kids to see me the way I've seen some of my friends on a ventilator and not having had their life. Um, but I guess if my time is to come, you know, I would just want to make sure that I've given them the best life possible and my kids are crazy i just gotta give them lots of love and and encouragement and not give them a reason to be afraid
1: very excited about that one yeah make sure you click the little subscribe button at the top write a comment thousand
2: ratings we've had online tell your
1: mates we really want to get this in as many ear holes as we can all around the world and we are truly humbled by the amount of support that we've got and hello to our norway
2: Our listeners, we were number 20 on the culture and society section of the Norway
1: Charts through the week. I don't know if you know this, but you're a big deal in Norway. Am I? Yeah, Norwegians It's made of my
2: blonde hair blue eyes. They thought I was one of them. Blonde hair? It's a mousy blonde.
1: That is not
2: true. That's what my hairdresser said. Till the next episode. We'll see you then. Listen Able was presented by Dylan Alcott and Angus O'Loughlin and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Audio production by Darcy Thompson and the music was written and performed by Eliza Hull.